Welcome to the Optimize Your Life podcast in association with PopProductivity.com, the self-improvement podcast designed for you to optimize your human performance through evidence-based strategies, practical tips, and advice to take your productivity and well-being to the next level. Sit back and enjoy with your host, Peter Shaw. Hey everyone, and today I was delighted to be joined by former Leinster Rugby Union player and Irish international Bernard Jackman. Bernard has played professionally for 12 years and after his retirement transitioned into coaching professionally also. Bernard has coached numerous domestic clubs here in Ireland, but also professionally in Grenoble in France and in the Dragons in Wales. It was a great discussion as always with Bernard, as you will find it very difficult to find someone as open and willing to share information and their knowledge as Bernard. We talked about leadership, culture and his time as a coach. We also delved into how he dealt with being sacked as a Dragons head coach and the learnings he took from it. There's a lot to learn from his transition from professional rugby into the real world where he works now in corporate finance and data with Refinitiv. The most fascinating aspect of the discussion was Bernard taking us through his individual development plan and he gives us insights into his own IDP and gives us details on how best to set one up for yourself. These plans, in my opinion, are very useful and practical for us to grow and improve and achieve our goals in all aspects of our lives. Finally, we are now live on Apple Podcasts and iTunes, and we would really appreciate it if you could take a second to leave us a review and to subscribe to the podcast if you're enjoying the episodes. This will allow us to continue to grow and provide you with more episodes with great guests. I hope you enjoy the show. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Optimize Your Life podcast. I'm joined today by Bernard Jackman. How are you, Bernard? Very good, thank you. So for the listeners, I suppose, do you want to give yourself uh, a little bit of an intro uh, background and on your journey so far um, from your rugby experience and maybe touch a little bit on your, your coaching experience as well? Yeah, sure. Um, I grew up on the Wicklacarda border, um, five miles from, from Tullow, um, five miles from a place called Shalala. Um My father's a, a cattle dealer, so I grew up on a farm. And uh, Gaelic football is my first love. Um, and, and played Gaelic football until I was until I was twenty. But um, went to boarding school, Newbridge College, when I was twelve, and took up rugby there. Um, loved it. Um, you know, played in the senior cup team. Didn't play, make any representative stuff. Um, went to DCU to study international marketing in Japanese, um, and ended up playing in Clontarf after two years in Lansdowne. Um, and kind of was a little bit late developer. Uh, had a very good season that season. Clontarf got promoted from Division 2 to Division 1 and Brent Pope was my coach, the TV pundit. At the end of that year, I was supposed to go to Japan for my third year, six months of college, six months of work uh, and rugby on professional and yeah, Warren Gatland offered me a contract. So I was the first crop of, of contracts ever given out in, in Irish rugby. Um, I didn't go to Japan, obviously, because I went to Connacht, but uh, I ended up getting a degree in business studies. Uh, Warren Gatland let me do um, stay in college and, and commute through the season was much shorter and from there um, yeah I ended up being a professional rugby player for um, 12 years uh, at a year out where I was a pharmaceutical rep um, I lost my contract uh, I, I failed a medical went back pharmaceutical rep and then went back into it and did two years in, in sales sharks five years in Connaughton uh, and five years in, in Leinster so uh, that was my playing career and then I went into into coaching I went to France to coach in a place called Grenoble in the top 14 for five years and then I had uh, two seasons in, in uh, Wales with the Dragons and now I'm I'm in the real world I'm in um, I'm an account manager for a, a multinational um, corporation called Refinitiv which um, was formerly Thomson Reuters so 
competing with Bloomberg in the in the data space uh, the financial services. Brilliant. So obviously you've you've a vast experience ahead going for you there in terms of your CV and professional rugby as a player and uh, as a coach. I suppose for our listeners um, to try and relate a bit to what your your experience is. Um, do you want to talk about uh, a little bit of the leadership side of of your coaching? Like obviously starting out, um, I know you went to New Zealand, was it, for a, a few weeks and, and tried to build on your, your system and tried to build on your, your, I suppose, your understanding of culture and leadership from a business sense and I suppose how that translates across the sport. Yeah, so I'd be, I'm fascinated by high performance and, and leadership is a, is a core component um, within high-performing individuals and high-performing uh organizations teams sports um i went back when i retired in 2010 i went back and did a, a master's in ucd in sports and exercise management and my thesis was on the correlation between high performance behaviors in sport and business so i went to new zealand as you said i spent five weeks with the five a week with each of the five uh, super rugby franchises there so the crusaders the chiefs the blues the Highlanders and the Hurricanes. then i went to melbourne storm who were a, um, a very successful rugby league team um won a couple of titles um, and then I went to Man United, uh, Wigan Warriors, uh, the the National Academy uh, in, in France for tennis, IMG in Florida and from a business point of view I went to visit um, Dyson, uh, Toyota, Rolex and Rolls-Royce to try and see was was there a common trend um, in, 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 team, or in teams or organizations that have been sustainable or successful over a long period? And, um, you know, the leadership angle is, is massive. And I think, um, you know, my finding would be or my summary would be that those organizations put a huge value on leadership and it's not autocratic. I mean, you'll find really strong leaders through all the different departments um, or, or sections of the business or team. Um, and those people tend to have a very strong sense of identity, um, a very strong sense of their own values, their own strengths particularly, um, and have a very uh, strong commitment to the, to the vision of the, of the organization. So, um, you know, that's really important. And I think once you know a lot about yourself um, and you understand what you what you are made of, what you can bring to the party. I said the strengths are huge. Um, then I think it's far easier to become a become a leader. Um, and obviously, you need to have an environment where you know the big thing now is psychological safety. So where people feel um, that they can give their opinion or they can set the strategy um, or, or play their role um, without risk or, or danger. And um, you know, probably one of the best leaders um, you know I've ever worked under always said to me, you know, rather than ask for permission, you know, I'd rather you didn't ask for permission, but ask for forgiveness um, when you get it wrong. Um, and again, that that's a really strong sign that they believed in me. And, you know, was, I had the, I suppose I had the right to, to go and try and, you know, make things better. So that's, that's the kind of leadership model that, that I feel is, is really important. Obviously it starts with the individual understanding themselves um, and what they bring and why they're unique. And then secondly, it's to have that environment where people aren't afraid to, to make mistakes or or to give their opinion. Yeah, so talk to me about um, one of the areas I've obviously listened to before and chatted to you a few times um, about different things, but talk to me about your journey on self-awareness. And you seem to have a really good grasp, as you said there, of 
of understanding yourself um, and probably through through maybe mistakes that you've made or your experience like what is the journey of self-awareness look like for you and maybe for some of the listeners give some insights into how you got to this level where you know you're very very open to share um, and something that we might touch on later is you know the amount of whatsapp groups and the amount of information that you give out on a daily basis you know you've forgotten more information than most people will ever learn in their lifetime. So do you want to talk about how you got to that level of, I suppose, openness? I've always been very lucky. I've had strong, strong leaders. Um, you know, I, I, if it, just from a rugby point of view, if you look at, you know, I played under uh, Michael Checker, Warren Gatland, um, John O'Gibbs, you know, Steve Diamond, Jim Mallander, Alex Wiley, uh, Declan Kidney, Eddie O'Sullivan. So I, I had people who had real clarity around you know what their vision was, what the mission was, and what the the minute was to try and try and achieve that. And and um, you know that's that can be inspirational if you're interested in in in, in that element um, and you want to become a coach, you want to become a better leader. You try and I suppose see what they did and why they did it. And also, I think I've had a lot of setbacks in, as a player. Um, you know, I, I I struggled lots of times. I was dropped a lot of times. I was dropped from Ireland, I think, eleven times. Um, but I knew what I could bring to the party as well. So I looked at myself a lot and said, okay, well, these are things that I'm not really good at. And when I get dropped, they're the things that, you know, coaches tell me are the reasons why I'm dropped or someone else is ahead of me. But, and obviously you, you, you want to work on them. But I always was very good at saying, well, you know, they're, these are my super strengths. So whether it's resilience actually would, want, would be one of the things that I would see as being a, a strength of mine. And that's why I don't get bothered too much by, by setbacks or, or being out of favor for a short while. I think once I'm continuously trying to improve those super strengths and obviously improve my weaknesses, you know, that that's all I can do is all I can control. And, uh, but it would be a case of, I suppose, looking at myself. And that's why I would always say to my players, you know, you should be able to tell me, um, you know, without having to think about it, what your three biggest strengths are, or what, you bring to this organization and some of them will be, you know, something athletic or others it won't be. It'll be their, you know, international intellectual property. It'll be their charisma or, or their doggedness or, or whatever. Um, and I will, you know, and I'm working with some people who, who are looking to get better outside of a sport in a mentorship role. And I think the starting conversation for me is always around what they see in themselves. And I think once you understand yourself better, I think you've got a far better chance of, developing that growth mindset, but also understanding what you need to work on or what you need to do more of. Um, and they shouldn't be always aligned to your, your faults. I think, you know, I'd be very, I'd be 80, 20 on the, on the strengths. So yeah, and I, I, I don't think it's a hard thing. I think we don't spend enough time actually kind of understanding where we're at in our journey and, um, you know, why we, why we should be successful, um, and why we can help you know um ourselves and our families achieve achieve our dreams yeah that's brilliant um something that i found fascinating recently uh, you shared it into a group that i was in was the individual development plans um and when, i suppose when we talk about self-awareness it's a nice segue into talk maybe about have you done that for yourself those plans and um, maybe give the listeners a little bit of insight like for me i suppose anybody that's listened to a podcast that's titled to optimize your life or any sort of podcast or looking for information, they probably generally have a growth mindset. So for those people, maybe, um, could you give them maybe a little bit of an outline on what an individual development plan looks like and how they would go about putting one together for themselves? 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I have one. I've had one for about probably I'd say a decade, uh, maybe a bit longer. I probably had a I had one probably before that, but it was very rugby specific. Um, so it was very much as my in my position, hooker. You know, what do I need to be a better a better player? Um, the one I have now is 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 far far more developed, and you know, it will cover will cover areas like leadership. It will cover areas like communication. It will cover areas like you know strategy. It will cover areas like being a, a good family man, it, it covers lots of different things um, that I know are important in terms of me being a good person to be around and also in terms of becoming better or whatever I want to go into. So, yeah, again, it came from playing, um, but I think you're a hypocrite if you're, if you're telling players how important an individual development plan is for them and, and you haven't uh, tried and tested it and, and found it successful. So I had I would do one normally in a normal time. I would, I would update it every three months. Um, so I would have a, a quarterly review of it and update it and be very strict on on actually achieving what I said I was going to achieve in the previous quarter. And if I hadn't, I'd give myself a kick in the ass. Um, whatever. Uh, I have someone as well who will look through with me, um, to be honest as well. So uh, I think that's important. I think I think a, a vision shared um, and discussed together is far better and to get some feedback from someone who knows you well. And that would be something I would do with the people I mentor. You know, uh, I would expect them to be be honest in terms of controlling it and running it but i think when it comes to review it or set it up it's often great to have somebody who's gonna i suppose probe and push to make sure you're not being too uh, not being that you're being ambitious enough you know it's got to stretch you i mean the learning um we learn in different ways but part of the learning process is to be stretched and taken outside your comfort zone and, and pushed and the reason i said it's normally quarterly i think in covid i've brought it back to monthly uh, because i think i've done I've done, you know, maybe uh, a year's worth of, of of learning in in COVID, um, and I think I need to be more ambitious in terms of uh, if this lasts to to probably achieve more. Um, but also, part of it would part of it actually is to is for me in COVID because there's so many podcasts and webinars and books and and having an unbelievable amount of Zoom meetings with with people who are who are elite practitioners. I think at some stage, uh, for me, it's once a month is to take a break from it for three or four days and actually go back through my notes and fine tune because what I fear is in six months time, I have, you know, fool's caps full of notes and ideas, but it's all mumble jungle, mumble, uh, and I need to, I need to basically find those little nuggets that kind of fit in with my philosophy and how I really believe things should happen and explore those and delve deeper into them. So, um, yeah, that's why. I, so now at the moment it's monthly. Um, so obviously it's near the end of May now. So first uh, of June I'll I'll review it and 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 kind of make a real strong plan for uh, for June. And uh, you you mentioned there about giving yourself a kick in the ass. Like I suppose, what does that look like if like a lot of the listeners are probably trying to improve themselves? Um, and you know, some of the things that come with that is people being very very negative. And you mentioned the eighty twenty in terms of your super strengths towards your your weaknesses, but I suppose in an individual development plan, like how do you look at that with your mentor or whoever you're working with that has a look at it? How do you decide, you know, that really is a negative thing and how do you go about changing it? Is it as simple as I'm not happy with that and I'm going to change it? Or is there a process that you follow or, or a way you kind of measure these things? Yeah. So again, um, the, re- the only reason I'm able to give myself a kick in the ass is because I have a lot of detail in it and timelines and, um, you know, 
clear goals that I, uh, and um, and things I need to achieve. So and that's the thing. I mean, you know, I think an, idea, an individual plan where you say, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read." more books i mean that's too loose you know it has to be very specific what books you're going to read you know and what the timeline is and you know kind of what your what your learnings from them are and have them documented so so that's you know that's kind of for me the more detail you have in your in your development plan and i suppose the more things that are measurable um the easier it is to uh, be hard on yourself and then work out well why did you why did you underachieve you know was was it too ambitious or was the things were you chasing too many things that you weren't interested in that you um, you don't enjoy, um, or was there too many things in it that, that are enjoyable and you weren't, you know, really stretching yourself? So there's lots of. For me, it's the whole starting point. So if that document isn't isn't something that's exciting, and again, it's it's by having that balance of that eighty twenty at least, where you're actually looking forward to it. And I think if you if you set your IDP up that it's only to work on things that you're not necessarily that good at or don't really enjoy, it's far less likely to to improve. So for me, like a big part of mine is is around leadership, and you know I I'm, I'm fascinated by leadership, and I'm fascinated by people who can who can can drive you know and empower people to be better leaders. So I would say forty percent of my IDP. For, for the last month of May um, was around speaking to people who were elite that, in that. So like, you know, if I had an hour and a half chat with Pat Lamb, for example, just to use a rugby person that people might, might know or not know, he's the head coach of Bristol Bears and he won, um, he won a Pro 14 at Connacht and he's talking to me and we're discussing leadership. I mean, that's not, that's highly enjoyable for me, you know, um, and even though it's, it's in theory going into you know, something that might sound strenuous, you know, I, I, I love that opportunity. So, and then obviously, you know, if, if I'm spending you know, half an hour, you know, working on my Japanese, for example, which is part of, part of my IDP, uh, I want to rekindle my Japanese. That's a real drag for me at the moment. Uh, <laughs> um, and again, but because there's a balance there and uh, I'm breaking it down in small chunks and, you know, um, I'm not in any massive rush to do it. I don't need it next week or anything like that. Um, but I've actually built up some connections in Japan who are in a group I'm in, um, a coaching group. And I can see the light at the end of the tunnel is that, you know, at some stage I want to be able to converse with them about rugby and about their their philosophies in, in Japanese. So I always try and make things as uh, as interesting as possible or at least most of the stuff, things that I'm going to enjoy with, with benefits to come, if you get me. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And I was just reading when you were talking about influence there and your leadership, I was reading a, a statistic about um, leaders today and that people rated 40% uh, of the study rated a family member as the most influential person they've had in their whole lives. And second came in, um, I think it was about 26, 27% as a teacher or a coach. And it was interesting that only about 7% were coming from the business side. So I know people tend to look for business and, um, you know, they look for the self-help books um, in, in their in their bookstores. But a lot of it comes down to experience and I suppose the different, the different conversations that you have with, as you said, elite practitioners or people that have built, you know, a culture somewhere or are working in a high performance environment. Because a lot of the time, I suppose, the day-to-day stuff that happens in business and you're in the corporate world, 
probably doesn't stack up um, in sports, probably doesn't stack up in, in people's lives outside of um, work as well. So um, it's, it's very, very interesting. This was uh, one thing I wanted to, this is my selfish question was, so you obviously, you coached in Ireland uh, with Clontarf and then you went to New Zealand, was it after that? I went to Grenoble then. Yeah, so the, so effectively, so I, I'm into languages. So I, I studied German German school. I did Japanese in university, and I had a few chances to to go to play in France um, as a player. But I was very committed to trying to, I suppose, win as many trophies as I could for my home province, which is Leinster, and play for Ireland as many times as I could. So if I had went to France, that would have been over. So I wasn't willing to compromise that. So. I kind of said, well, look, I'll go to France as a coach and I'll, I'll get the best of uh, both worlds. Um, but the problem is in France, it's quite difficult to get in as a foreign coach who doesn't have, have a French. There was no opportunity straight from playing. So I said, okay, I'm going to go back and do that Masters. I'll, I'll coach Clontarf. I coach St. Michael's School um, as well to get more uh, as much experience as I could. And I basically was looking for opportunities to go to France that following year. And the opportunity I, I got was in a club in the second division called Grenoble, um, who had just lost out in the playoff to get promoted. So there was a bit of, I suppose, disappointment there. Um, they thought they were going to go up to the top 14, but didn't. And they were looking for a defence coach um, for the following year. But I'd never coached defence before. So in my interview, I said to the, the director, Ruby, I said, look, if you give me the job, part of my commitment is I'll go to New Zealand for five weeks on my own bat and out of my own uh, pocket and I will upscale myself in as a defense coach. And I think that was probably what got it for me, to be honest, because, um, you know, he just saw a young coach who was really ambitious and willing to invest and do whatever it took to, to try and upscale. So that got me the, the, the job. And, and I started off as defense coach and then I became um, defense and um, collision coach. And then I became head coach and eventually I became the, the director of rugby. So yeah, that that's, that's kind of how I got there. But like I got there through networking, you know, I'd ended up the guy, the captain of Grenoble that year was a guy I played with in Connacht. And my dad, my dad always said to me, a quiet priest never got a rich parish. So I think you have to push yourself out there. You have to ask people, is there anything happening? Um, you know, where's the opportunity? What are you hearing? Would they look at me? How, who could I speak to? And that's absolutely huge. And in COVID now with, with obviously job losses and things like that, your network is going to be, um, it's going to be so crucial and you know we two of the coaching groups i have at the moment like they wouldn't happen if it wasn't for covid um we've got south africans australians new zealanders japanese russians welsh english irish scots who are all meeting up you know four times this week actually um and and working on on the on trying to be better for the players that they coach but also on improving their network and just having connections across the world and it's it's something that we should have been doing anyway, and and we we're only doing it because of COVID. But I'd like to believe it will continue. Now, obviously, not at the level it's uh, it's mm-hmm. at the moment, but I would like to believe, feel that at least once a month there'll be some kind of of opportunity to, to check in and and you know try and develop each each other and, and as a group. So um, I think that's been a real positive out of this. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. I just wanted to with the Grenoble um, your time over there. Like I suppose uh, you've obviously did uh, numerous different roles over there, but for myself, his question was obviously in France for some of the listeners that may they may not know. And I suppose lower you go down in terms of the division, 
I suppose the culture around high performance, you know, wasn't really there. It's probably improving at the moment, but in terms of the S and C, the the sports science, um, you know, looking after their bodies, nutrition, like it can be very, very loose over there. So I suppose what was it like for you going in and kind of looking at this coming from Leinster from really high yeah. performance setup and going probably tearing your hair out going, What's going on here? Um, how did you start to break that down um, and how did you start to build I suppose as you got closer to head coach and director rugby how did you change that culture how did you morph it into what you thought was high performance yeah I had a lovely going locks going there but I lost it all pretty quickly with the, with the stress but, uh, <laughs> but it's very difficult I think if you go in and copy and paste what you what you know is right you won't last three months in France I mean that's the thing they they will they will change for you uh, but you have to work with them and you have to be patient. I mean, I I found it very difficult to accept, you know, sloppy training sessions or or timekeeping or um, nutrition. You know, like you know, we would we we would go to a match, and if there wasn't full fat coke on the or full sugar coke on the on the tables, there'd be war. They start banging the table, and you know, a lot of fellas wouldn't eat breakfast. Uh, some lads still smoked. Uh, now it is getting a lot better, but it it's a case of working working with them. Language is obviously key. I mean, I had to, I gave myself six months to be able to present in French and that took a lot of work for me because I didn't do French in school. And obviously there's, you know, a lot of the the, the self-help uh, language tools aren't Ruby specific, you know, so, you know, you can listen to or watch as much TV in French as you want, but it's not going to give you that, that Ruby lingo. And, you know, then you obviously need to know how to put it together. Uh, grammatically, you need to put it together in a, sometimes an aggressive way, sometimes a soft way. And that's, you know, to be able to connect with a player, you know, the, the better your grasp of the language is, the, the far easier it is. So that, that was a big challenge. So I didn't really try and push my opinions on, on what high performance or elite really looks like until I had a better grasp of that. And there were sometimes when I had the grasp of the language that I pushed too far and realized that I was going to end up, you know, maybe losing some of the group because this wasn't part of what they believe is important. So then you have to pull back um, and you have to be very fluid or liquid um, in your, in your philosophy. And, and again, like I've seen coaches, brilliant coaches like Michael Checa or, or Jake White, you know, um, who went to France and didn't really budge or stuck maybe very close to, to what they know is right. And it is right. Like there's no doubt. I mean, it's not, it's not an Irish thing. It's not an Aussie thing. It's not a South African thing. It's, it, 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 you know, the things we're looking at are like recovery and, you know, sleep and nutrition, um, you know, are widely accepted across the world that that's what you need to do. But again, you have to, you have to adapt, I think, um, to, to what the, the norm is there. And I don't think you drop your standards at all. You just change the speed that you expect them to, to get there at that. And then you become the salesperson. I listened to a brilliant podcast with the head of performance for Leinster, Charlie Higgins, about four weeks ago. And he said, if he had his time again, or any advice you'd give to any S&C coaches, study sales, do a sales course and do a public speaking course. And I think, you know, absolute goal there because even if you're not a salesperson, you always have to sell, you know, a strategy, a vision, a reason why. And obviously, you know, being able to get up in front of a group and, and speak well um, or get up in a group two or three people is, is really important in terms of being able to set that, that vision as well. So... You know, that was that was two things for me that I, I needed to be good at and for me to be able to get up in front of the group wasn't a problem but to be able to get up for, in front of a group 
and deliver a message in French, you know, that, that was impactful. That's, that's hard, you know, that's hard, but that, that was the challenge. And I think, you know, certainly, you know, I did my pro license in France and did a thesis in French um, at the end of the 10,000 words. So, yeah, I, I, I put a lot of effort into that. And, uh, you know, I still keep up my French. I, I read the French newspapers and I listen to some French podcasts, actually, just to um, just to make sure I don't lose it because I've had to work very hard to get it. Yeah, I, I did French in school and I, I've lost it all, so don't, don't feel too bad. <laughs> um, just on the, I suppose, the overall um, journey that you've been on, I suppose the development is incredible to, to listen to you speak about you know, your time as a player and moving through to, to being a coach. And I suppose one of the reasons I kind of wanted to get you on was because you're pretty open about, you know, your setbacks. And I suppose for some of the listeners maybe that don't um, don't watch rugby or aren't heavily involved in sport, how did you deal with these failings? And, and I suppose how did they push you on? Um, if you want to give people maybe a, a couple of examples of, of failings that you had and how that's changed uh, you as a person or how you go about things now. Yeah, I think well the most the most recent would be you know uh, losing my job in the Dragons and you know and I actually don't have any any real regrets or, around that. It's not that I didn't like I wouldn't do things differently for sure I would, but at the time you know I worked uh, while I was there I worked incredibly hard. I mean I don't think I could have really worked any harder um, and I had the best intentions. Everything I did was for the right reasons and it was a shared responsibility a share project with leadership group of players uh, a very good management team and you know we came up short but rather than actually lose kind of confidence or 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 feel feel down about that i mean what you need to do is take a step back and go okay well you know what raw materials do we have um where was the club when i got there what was right what was wrong you know did we did we disimprove the things that were already right um, if we did, well, then we have to take responsibility for that. Did we try and fix the things that were wrong? Yeah, if we did, you know, did you put thought into it? Did you speak to other people? You know, why didn't it work? And if something that didn't that we tried didn't work and it was down to me, um, well, then I, you know, I would I would hold my hand up and say, yeah, uh, that was a bad call. But if it was done, I said, with full commitment and for the right reasons and with all the information I had at hand and, and all the intelligence I could gather, to make that decision well then what can you do you know there's only so many teams who have who have success but you have to factor in as i said all the all the ingredients you know like if 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 a, if a really good chef has bad ingredients he's going to find it hard to compete with um you know a chef who has great ingredients and that's the that's the same in sport the same in business so and again it's not saying i wasn't i didn't make mistakes absolutely uh, there's things I, I i learned from it and could do differently but as I said, the most important thing to me is to be able to say, well, you know, no one can question my work rate. No one can question my ability to, to share and ask questions and also to bring people on the journey with me. And also before we committed any strategy, it wasn't autocratic. It wasn't like this is what we should do. It was, it was very much shared across the, the group. So from that point of view, there's some, some jobs that are unfixable at the time. And, uh, yeah, you just got to move on and say, well, you know, we had two great years in Wales. Uh, got some great friends there. Some of the coaches and players that I, I coached are, are part of some of the groups I'm on and I'm trying to help them, um, you know, get better. And, and uh, yeah, I, I, I could end up working with them again in the future. You wouldn't know. Just to move to a different uh, topic, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about, obviously, you're working in 
in corporate in the corporate world now like as it was what's it like now having to retire um obviously you, you had a couple of concussions uh near the end of your career and this was one of the areas that we're trying to touch on with the podcast is is right the area around mental health and i suppose that obviously with the extra trauma that concussion can cause as was how have you transitioned from you hear a lot of stories about people not being able to deal with and cope with uh, retirement from from something like professional rugby or professional sport so was how is that looking like for you and how did you go about that i know you you obviously educated yourself and, and were pretty prepared um for that for that uh, transition yeah so for me thankfully um i didn't suffer from from uh, post uh professional career depression um and i'm very grateful for that and, and I, I know a lot of people you know really struggle really struggle to transition uh, probably the reason I, I i think i believe that i didn't struggle was you know i had a great support network um i you know a wife with two kids and i didn't really spend any time thinking about it to be honest uh so while i would reflect in lots of areas um i knew that finishing playing and the buzz you get from playing was going to be incredibly hard to to match so I wanted to see it as a clean break and set very clear goals around what I want to achieve so for me I knew I wanted to go to France I knew I wanted to coach in France so I was just focused on okay what do I need to do to get to France and I also I mean part of doing that masters in UCD was to give me that I suppose fallback option or security of having a masters that potentially could prepare me for a job in sports administration if I wanted to go down that route or, you know, something else. But it wasn't, it was like, well, I know coaching is a very fickle um, career. I've never done it professionally. Um, I have young kids. Do I want to be in a career where we have to move every three years or, or less, which is um, quite common? But if I do want to, if I do want to do that, great. And, and that's a conversation to have. Or if I don't want to have that risk and have that um, lack of stability, well, then the Masters is going to help me um be more employable somewhere else. So I kind of, by doing all these different things and by doing media and, you know, by giving talks around leadership and my performance, I try to give myself so many different options and doing things that I really enjoy. So I like education. I like trying to get better. So the masters, it wasn't, it wasn't a challenge for me. It was, it was in sport and exercise management, something I'm passionate about. I was, I was loving coaching. That was great. I liked doing the media stuff. That was great. So I ended up just basically doing what I love. Um, and you can say that's selfish or whatever. But I think when I've never had to work yeah, the job I'm doing at the moment, you know, as I said, I left school. I went, I went and did international marketing. And for me, Mark, at the time I wanted to be a salesperson. So the only reason I did marketing was you couldn't do a degree in sales. So now I'm working in sales for a, you know, I said a multinational, um, data company who, with 18,000 people worldwide, there's huge opportunities to, to work with people who are far smarter than I am, to learn from them, to help people, my clients, you know, make better decisions using data. And as a coach, I always try to use data. So it's not GPS data, it's not recovery data, it's not match stats, but it's data and information that people use to try and make better decisions. So it's aligned to kind of what I'm passionate about. So yeah, it's, it's, I'm really enjoying it, to be honest. The corporate world is, is great. It's very tough, but it, it's no tougher than, than the elite sport. And yeah, I'm meeting some brilliant people who are very elite in their own way, but maybe aren't as high profile as some of the, you know, the great sports leaders that we, we know and, and follow and, and, um, admire so much. So, but just, you know, some people who are doing great things in, in the corporate world as well. 
Yeah, and you spoke about um, obviously your passion and you, you have a real love for, for your new career. Um, I suppose keeping you, you talked about keeping your options kind of, I suppose, spread out and that you have skill sets in, in different areas. One of the things I was speaking on in one of the solo episodes of this podcast was about people looking to start. And I suppose people looking to, you know, the anticipation of starting is kind of killing a lot of ideas, a lot of good things that people have. And I think now it's a little bit easier in, in the modern world, I suppose, with COVID, with Zoom and, and podcasts and, and stuff like that. But for people out there that, you know, have an idea or they want to move into a different space or they want to start a career in something else or a side business, what would you say to them um, in terms of advice? Um, because obviously going from professional rugby and then going away and studying, you know, Japanese and learning French and doing uh, now having a, a career in, in the corporate world is completely different. So what would you say to those people that are, I suppose, procrastinating starting these ideas? Yeah, I think um, it goes back to what we said at the start. I mean, know yourself and and know what you're good at, what you love. And I'd like, I'd like to believe, I'd imagine that from 90% of people, their ideas are aligned something to some, somewhere close to what they love. Um, it's rare that people come up with, you know, really creative ideas in a field that they've no passion for. So it's being able to understand why, why you can make it work, um, or what help you need to get you on track and then go ask for it and, and um, look at people who built something similar. If it's, if it's an entrepreneurial idea, for example, go and speak to entrepreneurs, people who've, who've taken something from an idea in their head to, to the production line or to success. And they're the ones who will be able to, to give you the advice and, and, uh, but don't like chase it, you know, chase that, that dream because I think that's where you're going to be a high performer quicker working in something that's your own or something that is very strongly aligned to um, things you enjoy. And um, as I said, I haven't had to work in something that I don't enjoy yet. And all going well, I never will. I, I, I genuinely only want to work in things that are are important to me. And, you know, I would say the same thing to everybody else as well, is go back to that person that you are and understand that and being comfortable about saying to somebody, look, I have this idea. It mightn't be aligned to the skills that I've been doing for the last 20 years but I'm absolutely passionate about it. And I believe the skills from what I've done over the last 20 years are these two skills are something that can make, can make it happen. I mean, I had a good look around, to be honest, um, and I met lots of companies. Uh, not, I didn't apply for those jobs. I, I just met people for, for coffees and lunches, and I, I went into LinkedIn, and I, I went, um, okay, what company do I admire? Put that in the search box, and then looked at people. And obviously, there might be people in there that I was already connected to, um, but the way LinkedIn's gone, uh, it's kind of like Twitter. You can be connected to people that you don't really know or whatever. So I, then I would have been more kind of ruthless and went, okay, well, what area of the business do I do I want to know about? And I mightn't be connected to someone in there, but I would be cheeky and send them a message and saying, look, this is me. This, I'm, I'm in transition. Uh, um, I have passion for this, but I don't know how it's aligned to, to what you've done. Can, can, can I buy you a coffee? And, you know, obviously people don't, some people don't reply, but the ones that do, generally give you a half an hour or 45 minutes and you learn about their journey and you, and, and you find out more about it. And, and that was invaluable. I think most people are very happy to, to share. You know, it's going back to what we said about the start around putting stuff on groups and, and, and things. I think most people, a lot of people get enjoyment out of it and a lot of people don't get asked, never get asked. There's some unbelievably successful people who are under the radar, who are doing phenomenal jobs 
have a huge amount of IP, but they don't get asked. And um, and I think that's that's a key is to is to go and find out you know what drives them um, and you know why they're successful um, and, and and what their plans for the future are, or uh, and then see is is there anything you can get from it. You know, I think there's a there's a saying, and I have it wrong, but you know, amateurs amateurs read books. Um, was it uh, intermediates go to conferences and experts have coffees and I think that it's something along those lines but I'm not an expert in any in anything but um, you know I, I do find that I, I learn a lot from from engaging with people and particularly people who are who are doing great things in, in, in industries you know a, a wide range of industries yeah no it's uh, it's fascinating and you've always kind of been very very open and informative I remember it was only a couple of months ago I Message on LinkedIn. I think it was about five p.m. to jump onto yeah, a, 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 call up. A, a webinar at seven yeah. p.m. And sure enough, it's like trade lock and coppers. You, yeah. you you came you came on, and in fairness, you gave all the information for free. And I find the people that open their folder, you know, and give you all the information are the people that are at the top of their game, and they're the people that are they're always ahead of the curve anyway, and they don't have any secret sauce. They're always trying to look for for the next part, and they're always sharing, and they're always willing to to give people the time. Um, I always am fearful of the people that believe that they have something that's a secret, or they believe that um, you know, they have the the next big thing. But um, yeah, that that's some fantastic information there for our listeners, and uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. And thanks to, for taking the time out of your uh, your schedule for this. So, oh, listen, and uh, it's it's a great. A great subject for a podcast and uh, i'm looking forward to um to getting stuck into a few episodes myself thanks very much thank you for listening to this episode of the optimize your life podcast if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe on itunes and leave us a review and for more information on productivity and human optimization please follow our instagram page at pop productivity or head over to our website at www.pop.com productivity.com. Until the next time, take care.